good morning. It is my pleasure to welcome you as we have gathered to worship. And to those that are joining us online this morning, thank you for taking the time to be a part of our worship service today. If this is your first time with us, we are glad the Lord has brought you here. I do want to point out that in the back of the chairs near where you are seated, there's a pouch. And in that pouch, you'll find a guest card. If you wouldn't mind taking a few moments to fill the information out on that guest card and then drop it in the offering boxes that are located on the walls near the doors, we would greatly appreciate it. Also, if you have any prayer requests, you can record those on those cards also, fold them and drop them in the offering boxes. So please be aware of that and welcome. We are glad that you are here. I also want to remind you that we are in a time where we are emphasizing the Annie Armstrong offering for North American missions. This is an offering that Southern Baptists have collected for over a hundred years in an effort to reach the world, reach North America specifically with the gospel. As I mentioned before, there are 366 million in North, people in North America, 350 languages, 14 plus religions. But it's estimated that out of that 366 million, 275 million souls are lost. There's no shortage of opportunity to share the gospel. And as we give, we are working to help provide for those that have been called to go to different places in North America to share the gospel. Our goal is $10,000. The next slide shows you the overall goal. Our giving of $10,000 is part of the $70 million national goal. So as we give, we are part of a bigger picture of those seeking to work and to pray for the sharing of the gospel. So I encourage you to do that. Now as you give, it's important to know that any amount is important. In fact, you'll see that even giving $5 helps a missionary provide bus fare for travel in a local community. $100 provides a, a thank you anniversary gift for a missionary couple. $500 will help sponsor a neighborhood outreach event. $1,400 helps provide the monthly rental fee for a worship facility. These funds are put to use in a variety of ways, all with the single goal of sharing the gospel. So I encourage you to give. You can give through the offering envelopes that are available or designating a check to the Annie Armstrong offering. You can also give online and you'll see the information there through our website. There are offering boxes that are located near the doors where you can drop your offering on the way out. You can text to give and the information is there with the number or you can mail or drop off your tithe or your, your gift for the Annie Armstrong offering to the church office. So please be a part of that and let's give that the gospel may be heard. This morning, I have a, a privilege, a presentation that I want to make. In fact, I'd like to ask Tony and Kathy Bowman to come and stand down here on the floor. If they will, please come at this time. Tony has served our congregation well. And this morning, there is a resolution that I want to put before this congregation that we would bestow upon Tony the honorary title of Minister of Worship Emeritus as a way of recognizing his service to this congregation and a way of saying thank you for the many ways that he has served the Lord. If you'll allow me for just a moment to read this, and I know it sounds very highfalutin, but please hear this. Whereas the church is called to worship God through Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit, Whereas throughout history, God has gifted and called individuals to lead His people to sing and play instruments in corporate worship. Whereas Trinity Baptist Church called Tony Bowman to serve as Minister of Worship in 1988, and he served the congregation a total of 31 years before retiring in 2019. Whereas Tony faithfully served Trinity and the Jonesboro community in outreach events like let All Heaven Rejoice, and the Jonesboro Area Ministerial Association Christmas Concert. Whereas, he is a model of servant leadership in outreach, visitation, and pastoral care, as well as a mentor to the next generation of worship leaders. Whereas, he provided leadership on an associational and state level. Be it resolved that on this day, April 18th, 2021, that Trinity Baptist Church bestows upon Anthony G. Bowman the honorary title of Minister of Worship Emeritus in gratitude and recognition for his outstanding ministry to our congregation. Would you signify by a round of applause your approval? Amen. Now, if you will look behind you, we have... Uh, 
Amen. Amen. We have, and remain standing if you will, because we'll be standing in just a moment to sing. But we have framed this resolution for Kathy and for Tony so they can hang and hold on to this and know that they are greatly loved and appreciated. Once again, thank you, Tony and Kathy, for your ministry. Indeed, what an honor it is to, uh, to be able to get to know Tony and to follow in his footsteps. Um, what a task, <laughs> but uh, praise the Lord for him. I want to remind us this morning as we begin our time of worship, what the prophet Isaiah out of chapter 40 says to us. He says, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill made low. The rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. He was speaking, of course, of the Messiah, the Christ, who has come, who has lived, who has died and rose again on our behalf, that all who believe in him would be saved. So when we gather together each week, even right now, we are giving God glory. We are manifesting his glory because of Christ in us through the Holy Spirit, unifying us in praise and worship to his glorious name and to attest to his glorious grace for us. The chapter then ends, it says, have you not known, have you not heard, the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is un." Searchable. So let's give him praise for all that he is and all that he uh, is doing in our lives together. Sing together. Strength will rise. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God. The everlasting God. You do not fade. You won't up on wings like eagles. What a glorious truth. Let's sing it once more. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God. The everlasting God. You do not faint. You won't grow weary. You're the defender of the weak. And you comfort those in need. And you lift us up on wings like eagles. Our God, our God, you reign forever. Our hope, our strong deliverer. You are the everlasting God, the everlasting God. You do not faint, you won't grow weary. You're the defender 
1 says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I, that is Paul, come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. Now say this together. With one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Amen. We're going to continue this uh, Worship time, singing a song we introduced last week via live stream. So I encourage you to just listen as we uh, do a little bit of this song and invite you to join uh, as we sing uh, together in just a little bit. Here we go. For the cause of Christ the King. We give our lives an offering, and all the earth resounds with ceaseless praise to the sun. For the cause of Christ we go, with joy to reap, with faith to sow, as many see and many put their trust in the sun. Christ we proclaim the name above every name for all creation every nation God's salvation through the sun. Amen. Let's sing it together now. For the King the king once lifted high to cries of rage of crucified endured the cross as every sin was laid on the sun to the king who conquered death to free the poor and the oppressed for lasting peace for life and Christ we proclaim, Christ we proclaim, the name above every name, for all creation, every nation, God's salvation through the Son.
Well, indeed, church, we proclaim Christ this morning, the name that is above every name, who forgives our sins and who can satisfy our heart and who has brought eternal life through the person of Jesus Christ. Friends, there's much to celebrate and much to sing of this morning. And what a marvelous privilege that we can come before this God, pouring pouring out our hearts to Him. But first, would you... Read along and listen as I read from 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest. We have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That's which, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We're writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. Now before we move into our time of corporate prayer, I thought it might be helpful, especially as we transition back to a schedule we are more familiar with, to remember why it is and how it is that we are coming together to pray. It's something that we do each week, uh, this time of corporate prayer, and it can be tempting for it to become routine and to kind of zone out. Uh, But I want to remind you that we are coming to God together. We are coming before an almighty God with an invitation to pour out our hearts to Him. And the reason we do that together is because we want our hearts to be knit together and have the same desires for the glory of God and the furthering of His kingdom. Obviously, this is different than private prayer because you're listening to someone else pray and it's tempting to to sort of zone out. But we want to invite you to to participate by silently agreeing with me and, and joining your heart to the things that we are praying together. So let my prayer become your prayer, and it will be our prayer. So to that end, each week, we are going to be highlighting up on the screen uh, one or two or maybe three prayer concerns each week that I want to invite you to join with others in bringing before the Lord. Uh, By way of update, and this one isn't on the screen, but you'll remember that a couple of weeks ago, we prayed for three women Uh, three abortion-minded women that Agape Women's Services has been ministering to. And I wanted to provide an update on these women for you. The first woman, uh, a lady who is pregnant with her her husband's best friend's child, um, she has decided by God's grace to carry that child to completion, to, to full term. So we celebrate and rejoice there. We prayed for a teenager who is very afraid of how her parents would respond. Um, We're sad to say she is no longer in contact with the ministry. They're not able to reach her. She's not responding to texts or calls. So we want to continue to pray for her. There's a third woman, an abortion-minded woman, who is struggling with substance abuse and very afraid. And by God's grace, she has also decided uh, to carry her child to term. And so, friends, I say this by way of update, but also to encourage you, God hears our prayers. And he's going to do what is best and what is wise, and we want to plead before him. So we rejoice and grieve with these women. Um, And as we move into our time of prayer this morning, there'll be a couple of things that we focus on together. So I invite you to pray with me now. Oh God, we praise you for the word of life. We praise you for Jesus who has been revealed to us and who reveals the nature of God and eternal life to us. We praise you that it's through Jesus that we're able to draw near to you with clean consciences, even though we still struggle with sin. And so, Father, we come confessing our sin, grieving the way it disrupts our fellowship, and pleading for you to sanctify us in your word. We pray, Father, that you would help us as a body to know and enjoy the richness of fellowship with God that you envision for us, and that we would enjoy fellowship with one another in such a way that you would be praised. We pray that you would give us longings to draw near to you, 
We confess with sadness that we are so often full of longings for other things, things that you have made, even sinful things that Satan has perverted. And we confess to you, please help us lose our taste for this world and to hone our appetites for heaven. Father, we join with other Southern Baptist churches around this world with a, with a heart and a desire for the gospel to be taken all across our nation. We pray, Father, that you would give boldness to our church planners, especially in major cities, that as they take the gospel to many who are perhaps hostile and, and not interested in the gospel, would you let your word find fertile and soft soil? We pray for wisdom as leaders and church planners and pastors and missionaries make strategic plans to creatively engage the lost in this COVID and secular age. We pray, Father, you would help us to be generous as we give and as we pray. Father, we pray for our seniors who are away on a retreat this weekend. We pray, Father, that this would be a weekend where they encounter you, the living God. We are not concerned merely that they inherit the faith of their parents, which may not be sincere, but that they would come to know you for themselves. We pray, Father, that they would enjoy Christian fellowship with one another and then make friendships that spur one another on to know and follow Christ. Would you keep them safe from the evil one and send them into the world with faith that is deeply rooted in the truth of the gospel? And Father, we continue to pray for Agape and the women who are served there. We thank you that you have heard our prayers. We give you all the praise and the credit. We pray for these two women who have chosen to carry their children. May you meet their every need. Be close to them in their fears and in their weaknesses. We pray for the Father for this teenager, asking that you would draw near to her. Let her know of your redeeming love. Redeem her out of her deepest distresses and let her know the truth that we each need to know so desperately that you are a God who is merciful and gracious. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. May we trust and delight in you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
amen. And the church said, amen. amen. At this time, I'd like to dismiss our children for children's worship. You can make your way to the doors to your right. There's Miss Amy. So all the kids that have registered, please feel free to make your way to Children's Church at this time. We're going to be in the Gospel of John once again, so I invite you to open your copy of God's Word to John chapter 20, verses 24 through 29 will be our text this morning. As you're turning there, I realize it's been a few weeks since I've given you an update on my daughter Emma, so I wanted to take a few moments to do that today. Uh, we are still just overflowing with praise because we're seeing her doing small things that we have been praying for for a long time. Specifically, uh, to give you an example, uh, for a long time, Emma would smile when we prompted her to, but the smile would only be on the left side of her, her face, of her lips. Over the past few weeks, we have seen her smiling with both sides, so the right side of her face is starting to wake up, but she is smiling spontaneously to, in, in reaction to things going on around her. That's incredible because we're not prompting her. And there, to give you an example, um, this past week, one of the friends of her and Ellen that they used to play basketball with was over, and they started reminiscing about their glory days of playing basketball and shared a story of one of the many things Emma did that was just an Emma thing to do. And we looked at Emma was just smiling in response. So she was feeling emotion and rejoicing in that. Also, I wanted to let you know one of the other things that Emma has been smiling about a lot is that our oldest daughter, Ellen, and her husband, Gabriel, are expecting our second grandchild. Uh, so we are very excited about that. Uh, number two coming along. So tune in next week for more of the Herod family uh, updates to let you know what's going on. John chapter 20, we're continuing our, our work through this gospel and the, the conclusion of the gospel is on the horizon. But we are still dealing with the, the aftermath of the resurrection, this linchpin of our faith. Chapter, 24, chapter 20, verses 24 through 29, we read of an encounter that Jesus had with Thomas. And this morning is going to be a little bit more of a teaching message as we take a look at the issue of skepticism and doubt that Thomas gives illustration of. Starting at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails... And place my finger in the mark of the nails. And place my hand into his side. I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. And put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen. And yet have believed. Bow with me in prayer again. Oh gracious Lord. Open our minds, our hearts and our eyes. To drink deeply of your glory this morning. And we recognize that the doubts that Thomas had. Are doubts that plague many of us and many of our friends. So I pray this morning that we would take Jesus at his word. As we read and hear the testimony of those eyewitnesses. Grant that by your mercy, grace, and power, we would echo the confession of Thomas by saying, My Lord and my God, in the name of Jesus I pray, Amen. For many years, aviators believed that the sound barrier was a barrier that would never be broken. 
Even with the improvement in aircraft, pilots believed that once you reached the speed of sound, the forces that would play upon the plane would be so great that it would literally tear the plane to shreds. That was the common belief until October 14th of 1947 when Chuck Yeager courageously flew the X-1 aircraft at the speed of 662 miles per hour and shattered the sound barrier with a boom. A barrier had fallen. and Things would never be the same again. Because we are sinners, we have a way of creating barriers. Sin divides and separates. It creates barriers. And we live in a world that is divided by barriers. Barriers of hatred and hurt. Barriers that have been erected because of guilt and anger. Barriers constructed and held together by sin and hardness of heart. But I praise God that Jesus is in the business of shattering barriers. In all of his ministry, Jesus shattered every barrier he encountered. When he was confronted with ethnic and racial barriers, Jesus broke them with a loud boom. When Jesus was confronted with religious and social barriers, he broke them with a loud boom. And when he was confronted with the barrier of sin and death, he shattered that barrier with his resurrection with a loud boom. Boom, and now he encounters another barrier. This is the barrier of doubt and skepticism. And he encounters this barrier in a most unexpected place among his own disciples. If there was any group that we think would be quick to believe the resurrection, surely it would be those who had walked with Jesus, who had seen him raise the dead. But when the other disciples tell Thomas that they had encountered the risen Lord, Thomas, who had been absent from that moment, says, I will only believe it when I see it. Apparently, Thomas had a bit of Missouri in him. Show me. Give me proof. Unless I'm able to touch his hands, unless I'm able to see the scars. Eight days later, the disciples are gathered behind locked doors again. And then Jesus appears. And in a moment that had to cause Thomas's knees to buckle, Jesus looks at him, and even though Jesus was not physically present when he announced his doubts, Jesus answers the doubts of Thomas word for word. Thomas, you said you wouldn't believe if you saw them. Here, put your fingers in the nail holes. You said you wouldn't believe. Put your hand in the scar on my side. We are not told if Thomas touched Jesus, but we are told that he came to faith with a confession that every believer is called to make, my Lord and my God. There are many who are like Thomas. Their doubt is a barrier to belief. I have no doubt that even among those that are, are here this morning or those that are watching online, many of you yourselves have doubts. They are doubts you keep deep. Because the truth is, you're afraid to, to give voice to those doubts lest your friends around you think you are a bad believer or, or they wonder what has happened to you. So you keep these doubts, but what happens over time is those doubts are not dealt with and your faith slowly becomes a facade. You know the right things to say. But those doubts are like chains that keep your heart weighed down. Some of you aren't in that category. But you are in the category where you have friends and family that are skeptical. And every time you try to witness to them, they bring up the barrier that they believe stands in the way of them coming to faith. And you're not sure how to answer that. Now, first, I make no claims to be able to answer every doubt in a 30-minute sermon. Okay? So what I want to do this morning is touch on three very common barriers that are often erected against the faith. And hopefully by God's grace, be able to help equip us to deal with them, to answer them, so we don't just shrug our shoulders and repress those doubts. 
So the first barrier I want to deal with is this. How can we believe what we can't see, touch, taste, hear, or smell? This is the doubt of Thomas. Thomas is what was called an empiricist. Empiricism believes you can't believe anything that can't be verified by one of the senses. If you can't test it scientifically and touch it, taste it, hear it, see it, or smell it, then it probably is not accurate. This view denies the supernatural. After all, the supernatural is beyond nature. It's what we can't see, we can't control, we can't taste it, we can't always explain it. So it denies any supernatural act. Thomas Jefferson was of this mindset. Our third president took the Gospels and edited them. He cut out every reference to the supernatural. And he put, to together, put it together in a book he referred to or called The Life and Morals of Jesus of Nazareth. He believed Jesus to be a wise philosopher, but supernatural? No. Miracles? No. Coming back from the dead? No. But Christianity is a supernatural faith. By that I mean, if you remove the resurrection, which is a miraculous supernatural event, you take away the foundation of our faith. The Apostle Paul said, if Jesus has not been raised from the dead, we are to be pitied. Furthermore, we believe that Jesus healed the sick. We believe that Jesus walked upon water. We believe that Jesus was at work doing the miraculous. Now understand, when Jesus did the miraculous and acted supernatural, he wasn't just showing out. He was not only making a statement as to his identity, but he was also restoring things to the way they were because if we are left to our own devices, we cannot fix the sin that plagues us. Only God can, and when God is involved, it is a supernatural act. Tim Keller points to this. Now, I want to confess to you this morning when I was looking over the slides again, I realized that I made an error. <gasps> I left a word out of the next slide, and I want you to see if you can find it. This is like, where's Waldo on Sunday morning? Tim Keller wrote this. We modern people think of miracles as the suspension of the natural order. But Jesus meant them to be the restoration of the natural order. The Bible tells us that God did originally make the world to have disease, hunger, and death in it. Amen. Did not. I left out the not. A very important omission. God did not make the world originally to have disease, hunger, and death. So when Jesus comes into the world, he comes to redeem where it is wrong and heal the world where it is broken. Jesus was acting as the Messiah, restoring what was broken. And it was a supernatural act. Now keep in mind that even though we look back often with a sense of hubris at ages that have preceded us, hubris because we think we are so scientific. We are technologically advanced. Those people back then were just ignorant. But listen carefully to this. This may shock you. Even in the time of Jesus... The disciples knew dead. Okay, When somebody died, they knew they were dead. The Roman soldiers at the cross were experts in dead. So when they said that Jesus had died, they knew that he was dead even before science, even in a pre-scientific age. So keep in mind this also when somebody says there's no supernatural so you cannot believe in the resurrection. If the authorities had wanted to disprove claims that Jesus had risen from the dead, they only had to do one thing. Show the body. You want to keep everything quiet? You want to stop this nonsense of Jesus being risen? Very simple. Bring the body out of the tomb. And understand, the Romans would have no qualms about doing that at all. So we have to keep in mind that there would have been reasons to deny the resurrection. And we also must remember that if one goes down the route of saying, I will only believe what I can see, taste, touch, hear, or smell, then to deny the supernatural means they must be on the shadow of a doubt prove that God does not exist. Only when you prove that absolutely can you say there is no supernatural. If God exists, then it must be acknowledged that he can act beyond the natural course of things. 
Christianity is unique in that it relies upon miracles as proof of the faith. Islam doesn't do that. Islam relies upon the teachings of Muhammad. And Muhammad is never said to have worked a miracle. However, the Gospels come in time and time again to show that Jesus worked miracles. Once again, quoting uh, Tim Keller, he said this, His miracles are not just proofs that he has power, but also wonderful foretaste of what he is going to do with that power. Jesus' miracles are not, not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we want is coming. You see, the miracles were not just about what happened back then. They were a promissory note on what he is going to do at his return in making things right. That is so crucial to answer the second barrier. If the first barrier that we have is that we just cannot believe what we can't see, taste, touch, hear, or see, and we answer them by saying, well, we have evidence in the Gospels. We believe in God. And they may say, well, God can't exist. And you say, why? Because there's no supernatural. So you're telling me God doesn't exist because there's no supernatural. So because there's no supernatural, there can't be God. That's a little bit circular, isn't it? But it's the second one that we hear the most. Second barrier is this. Evil and suffering. Usually the, the premise goes like this. The logic is something along the lines of, if God is good and all-powerful, then why is there evil? Since there is evil, either God is good but not powerful. Or God is all-powerful, but not good. Many believers really don't know how to respond to that. If I must, as I pursue this, let me first say, many times this issue is born out of deep hurt and suffering. People that have experienced things. And their hurt and pain has caused them to question Christianity. We must approach this humbly, patiently, and lovingly. Just as Jesus in many ways did with Thomas. He was patient and didn't reprimand Thomas. He gave him evidence. What we must do is to recognize and at times weep with those that are hurting over this question. But how do we respond? One of the things we can say is this. Because God is good and all-powerful, we have to allow that He may have a purpose that we can't see in the suffering. Just because we can't ascertain why doesn't mean there's not a reason. And we can't put a period on the end of that statement too quickly. Because after all, isn't the greatest example of how God can work good and evil the resurrection of Jesus Christ? That the most evil act that occurred is when Jesus, the innocent Son of God, was crucified for our sins? And in that act of evil, God uses it to bring about re redemption and bringing about the resurrection. Furthermore, you could add that evil does not necessarily disprove God. In fact, the very acknowledgement of evil shows that there is a God. Because how can we define evil Unless we have a knowledge of the good. C.S. Lewis put it like this. A man doesn't call a line crooked unless he has the idea of a straight line. How do you know things aren't the way they're supposed to be? Many times people will just shrug their shoulders and say, well, you just know. And our response is, you know that because we are made in the image of God. And the image of God tells us that there is something more. That cancer ought not be. That children ought not suffer at the hands of a predator. That there are things that occur that are wrong. Period. And the very fact we recognize those things as wrong means there must be a standard of good. And our belief is that God is that standard of good. And of course they may respond, well, if God is the standard of good, then why does he allow evil? Why does he allow evil things to occur? That's a difficult question. It's a very hard and holy question because we can't presume to know the mind of God. But a way to answer that question is this. If a person chooses to do evil, 
Which freedoms would we want God to take away so that evil doesn't occur? You see, God made us with the ability to choose and the moral responsibility to do so. And with every choice, that means we can go away that is contrary to God. Think of it like this. With every step you take, there is a chance you may fall. Isn't that true? I mean, you walk, you may trip. You may take a step, there may be a hole there you don't see. So because with every step I take, there's a chance I may fall, does that mean I need to quit walking? Should I take that freedom away because it has been abused? You see, God in his wisdom is working things according to his plan beyond what we can see or realize. But to me, the greatest argument goes back to the cross and the resurrection. Just because we can't see the purpose doesn't mean there's not one. And God has allowed us the moral responsibility of choice. And we are accountable for that. Evil does not disprove God. But it is a very real barrier to many. Which brings me to the third one. This in many ways is the most difficult one to answer. There are people who refuse to believe because they have been hurt by believers. And they are very aware of the hypocrisy that often plagues the church. Now it's easy for us to respond defensively to say, well you know what, they shouldn't be looking at us like that. But Jesus gave the world the right to look at the church and determine the authenticity of our faith. If we are light, that means the world's going to look. If we are to bear fruit, the world is going to look to see if that fruit is authentic. Jesus is with us, which is great comfort. But Jesus is with us is also a statement of responsibility. We represent him. And we have to acknowledge that there are those who have been hurt and even abused by those within the church. They may have had a sin committed against them. Maybe leadership has failed them. We have to acknowledge that. And once again, weep with them. What many find unbelievable about the faith is the lifestyle gap. The lifestyle gap is when our life does not match what we say we believe. And it's not just that we fail every now and then. What the world finds unbelievable is when there is no attempt to be consistent. They find it incredulous when a person claims to praise God on Sunday and then curses Monday through Friday. Or when a person welcomes people to church on Sunday and then gossips on Monday. Or when a person sings about the grace of God on Sunday and then slams others on Twitter Monday through Friday. It is that gap that makes Christianity disbelievable. We have to acknowledge that. We have to recognize that, yes, unfortunately there are times where believers have used words to hurt others. And we need to own responsibility if we have done that. You see, we need a dose of humility. When Thomas answered the Lord, my Lord and my God, he was saying, you are sovereign and I am not. And in my mind, although the text doesn't say that, I see Thomas falling on his knees at the feet of Jesus. My Lord and my God. We need that humility to say that He is our Lord and our God. Therefore, He has the right, the authority to guide us in how we are to live. It also means this. We need to learn not only to accept grace, but to live by grace. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Judge not lest you be judged also, for the measure with which you judge others will be used against you. If we are harsh, we will be judged harshly. Now, it doesn't mean we don't speak the truth, but often we leave off that caveat, speaking the truth in love and compassion. Walking with people through these things. We must strive to live consistently. Not only to preach grace, but to model it. 
To know that the Lord is at work. You see, this can feel overwhelming when we recognize that there are those that have been hurt by the, the, the words and the hypocrisy of the church. But once we recognize that it is God at work through us, we gain hope that He can overcome even our failures. The story is told of a man living in Rome who was an ardent atheist. He fell into the empirical camp that I mentioned earlier. And he was so anti-supernatural that he ordered when he died that there was to be a concrete slab placed over his grave that just in case there was a resurrection of the dead, he wouldn't have a part of it. But just so happened that before the slab was placed over his grave, a small acorn had fallen under that slab. And over time, that acorn sprouted until eventually it grew and grew and grew and cracked that slab, broke it, and moved it. Now, if a small acorn has the power to move a concrete slab, how much more can the power of God work within us to minister to those that have questions and barriers? So today, if you're struggling, I would point you to where Thomas was. But notice what Jesus said. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. How can we do that? The scripture. What Nathan read earlier from 1 John is where we are told we have the eyewitness account. And Jesus is saying blessed are those who believe without seeing. The scripture contains the truth that will guide us to break these barriers. Take them to the Lord. To those who have friends and family who reject the faith and use these excuses, I would encourage you, don't quit praying. Don't quit loving and reaching out. I gave a quote from C.S. Lewis earlier. C.S. Lewis, well known in our culture and even around the world for books like the Chronicles of Narnia and Mere Christianity and The Weight of Glory. What many don't realize is that in the early part of his life, Lewis was an ardent atheist. His atheism began when he was nine years old. His mother died of cancer. And it shattered any faith that he had in God. His disbelief was augmented by World War I. He was a soldier in World War I, saw the horrendous evils of war firsthand, was wounded, and came back entrenched in his belief that there was no God. However, he pursued an academic career in literature. And he realized that the men and women he was studying who had written great works of literature, they were believers. And so over time, he opened up to at least believe in a hesitant theism, that there may be a God. Also teaching at Oxford College, a co-worker of C.S. Lewis was a man who wrote a book or two in his life, J.R.R. Tolkien. Tolkien was a committed believer. He would have discussions, he and other faculty members that were believers with Lewis, and oh, I would have loved to have heard those discussions. Over time, Lewis became curious. They began talking about how the longings in man's heart, the longings that are often reflected in myths and stories, are really longings for eternity and longings for God. Lewis tells of a time that he was struggling with this and he stepped into a sidecar of a motorcycle driven by a friend of his. They were going for a walk at the zoo. Lewis said when he stepped into the sidecar, he was not a follower of Jesus Christ. But when they got to the zoo and he stepped out, he was a believer in Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. It took time, effort, prayer, discussion. That's the way the Lord works often. So don't be disheartened. Continue to pray knowing that our God is able. Would you bow with me in prayer right now? Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are the God who breaks barriers. You shatter them. And Lord, even as you stood in front of Thomas displaying your hands and your feet and the wound on your side and you shattered his skepticism, Father, I ask you, Lord, to do a work within us. You have given us your word and it is sufficient and it is enough. Help us, Father, to present your word by what we say and what we do. Grant this, Father. 
Grant it so that you will be glorified and honored. For those of us who struggle at times with skepticism, Lord, reassure our hearts, hear our questions. And Father, lead us to Jesus. For our friends and family that are critical of the faith, I pray, Father, that you would work within us, through us, that they would see the truth of the gospel. and They would come to faith in the Lord Jesus. We pray this for your glory. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand together and turn our eyes upon Jesus. Fix our eyes on him. And lead others to do the same. Thessalonians.
hands. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole body, soul, and spirit be kept blameless in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. May God bless you. You are dismissed. Your grace, your love.